This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Let's face it. People have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Bed, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements, so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center thanks to carvana it doesn't get any better than this your favorite seat's the best spot in the house make it even better by entering your license plate or vin and getting a real offer in minutes there really is no place like home and speaking of home carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from... Lisbon. I'm here for the first annual European Leaders Conference from the World Travel and Tourism Council, as well as hanging out at the Tivoli Avenida Liberdad Hotel right here in Lisbon. So it takes me to come to Lisbon to find some woman from, from Brooklyn, <laughs> who is the international, who is the, actually the, the, uh, the Portugal correspondent for International Living Magazine, uh, Trisha Pimentel. How are you? I'm great this morning, Peter. It's a wonderful time to be here with you. Well, how did you get from Brooklyn to full-time in Lisbon? Well, it started obviously in New York, uh, but I lived all around the country really. I spent time in um, almost 30 years in Los Angeles and uh, in the South, uh, five times in Florida, Utah, New Hampshire. My husband, shall we say, is a nomad and I'm the homebody. 
but not well, the home buddy now in Lisbon. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly enough, after all those travels, he when we finally arrived in Lisbon, he said, "Guess what? I think I came home." So we're glad we're here. Well, let's talk about that because Lisbon. If you go back ten years ago, Lisbon wasn't really on the radar. That's right. What changed? I think what happened was people are just getting more and more concerned. We just had financial news on in the hotel uh, that we were staying in, and you know, I, I just think people are concerned about their finances and their futures. And let's face it, this is a beautiful, beautiful place that offers a lifestyle that's about a third the cost of what it is in, in the states. And you know, that's part of my criteria when I when I pick a place. Give me a place that's got a high standard of living and a low cost of living. I want to go there. <laughs> Portugal fits the bill. It does. It does. As a matter of fact, when I gave a, a speech last uh, in April at the Atlanta Retirement Conference for International Living, it was uh, my title of was called Western Europe's Affordable Gem, Portugal, Western Europe. It just is everything that you would want to have with the, the people, the lifestyle, the architecture, the castles, the history, the food, the wine, and and it's all not expensive. So how the numbers changed? Uh, how many Americans? I mean, there's got to be a growth curve here. Yeah, yeah. Things are changing. There's no question about it. There was just an article in Portugal today, which is the English newsletter that comes out that's sponsored by the government here or private parties. I'm not sure actually, and the. Real estate prices are on the rise, de definitely, especially in areas like Lisbon. Uh, when I do a thing and I Hey, Madonna's here now. <laughs> I know. I like to say, I just said to somebody last night, Madonna's here because I opened up Portugal two years ago and now everybody found out. Um, obviously, that's a wild exaggeration, but she, that, and foreign invest investment is helping to increase the prices. Uh, you know, it's, it's a kind of a two-edged sword. Well, we know the money. The, the money's coming here. We know the price is going up, but it's still affordable. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's still within that range. We, for instance, my husband and I lived all around the country, not all around the United States, all around Portugal as well, pretty much, except for the Algarve, which we're on our way today. But we found that we can find a place to to live, just not to rent, but to purchase for about a quarter, again, the price that you would find it in the United States. And actually, where we moved now in the center region of the country, we paid half of what we would pay if we were even just outside the Lisbon area, never mind in Lisbon. All right, so let's get down to specifics. Mm -hmm. you know, waterfront property, of course, is always going to be dear, mm -hmm. but still, relatively speaking, it's still a bargain here. Definitely, definitely. And it depends on what kind of waterfront you're talking about. Let's face it, the, the country of Portugal is two, uh, one half bordered by Spain, one half by the Atlantic Ocean. So there's a lot of coastline. Um, and it depends on what kind you're looking for. Up north, where it's cooler and rainier and not so desirable for beachfront living, it will not be quite as expensive as it is down in the Algarve. But specifically, you can find now to rent a two-bedroom place in the Algarve for maybe $800 a month, or you can pay $2 million to, to purchase a, a four-bedroom place. So there's a great variety within the, the regions, and depends on what you're looking for, if you want to rent, buy, long-term, short-term. But it, it's all still way, way better than anything we find in North America. And from an ownership perspective, foreigners are allowed to own. Yes, they are. We're living proof of that. <laughs> yes, you are. From Brooklyn. <laughs> From Brooklyn. 
Well, yeah. now that you've been here, when we come back, one of the things I want to talk to you about is, you know, where are you going to send me, you know, for breakfast, lunch, dinner, to hang out? Uh, because I first came to Lisbon in 1978. And when I first came here, there was it was sleepy. There was nothing going on. Now you are like inundated with Michelin star restaurants with a night scene that is like unparalleled. So let's get down to it. When I first came down here uh, 40 years ago, I mean, it was really sleep. It was, uh, and part of that was its charm, let's face it, right? Now it's, you know, and everything closed at 10 o'clock in those days, except for a few Fado places, right? Now it's like, watch out, right? We were um, <clears throat> a little surprised. We were out to, for dinner last night here in Lisbon, which is a place I will recommend to you, actually. And it, I was just surprised that places were open at 11 o'clock, 11.30. I went out for dinner last night, and we didn't finish till 11.30, and yeah, the place was still jamming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where'd you go? Uh, Il Mercado, and it was an Italian restaurant. I know this is kind of, I feel like a great trader saying this, but and I did mention how great the food is in this country. Right. Uh, fresh, and the, you know, the fish. If you like fish and seafood, or pork and steak, uh, you're, you're home free. I happen to be, I love, I'm from Brooklyn, I like Italian food, um, and although I'm Irish. So I'm always looking for restaurants like that uh, with different cuisine. And so well, here's to globalization. You know, you want you want great Italian food. You go to Lucerne. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I mean, that's the way it works. Yes. Yes. Okay. So Il Mercado for Italian food. Yes. Oh, it was magnificent. Four cheese um, pasta. I had five cheese. Excuse me. Excuse me. Five <laughs> cheese pasta. They do everything one better here. Like Explain Texas. the Portuguese love affair with pastry. I don't know. Well, all I can say is I met my husband is of Portuguese descent. And he's got the sweet tooth. I am always with potato chips and pretzels and peanuts and all that. I don't know what it is. It's obviously there, it's in their DNA, but it's incredible. And how much they can put away and how they still stay slim. It's, I know. It's quite. A, a but the little special pastry. Like little, yeah. Pasta, I know. We were, we had one a day for about the first two years we lived here, literally. And now you can't <laughs> bear the sight of it. Uh, it depends. It has depends. to be something really special. Well, I will tell you this. I've been coming to the same restaurant here for like 25 years. They changed locations, uh, but they kept the menu. And I took my friends there last night, and I warned them to make room for dessert. It's pop sorta because of the chocolate mousse. You know, you go to another restaurant and you order chocolate mousse anywhere else in the world. They give it, they give it to you a little, a little small spoon and a little champagne glass. It's like, really, that's it? Here, it's usually hard. <laughs> yeah, right. Here, you order the chocolate mousse for dinner. I mean, for dessert, and, a, and an empty plate comes to your table to each person. And next thing you know, the waiter comes with a huge bowl a with a ladle that they give it to you. And it's like, oh, my God, they need a stretcher at the end of this. It's unbelievable. <laughs> wow. And that's Pop Sorta, which they, they now have in a, in a, in a former uh, abandoned marketplace, which now has been completely turned up to a, 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 a wonderful marketplace in the yeah, evening. Time out. Time out, yeah. Uh, that's a place I was going to recommend for you to go to. Well, I, I beat <laughs> okay. you to it. I was there. Right. I know. Been there, done that. No, because <laughs> forgetting that restaurant, when you go downstairs, you are literally surrounded by 50 separate Portuguese vendors, all of whom are great chefs here in the, in, in, in the city. Uh, and this is just an outlet for them. Yeah, I know. I was just at the, uh, there not too long ago, actually, for their, they have a casting agency there for films and stuff. So I went for an audition not too, too terribly long ago because I keep my finger in a lot of pies. And I was so surprised. It's like everything is there. And it is. Oh, fabulous. That old bookstore. Oh, my goodness. That bookstore. With the, the big staircase and yeah. the ladders. It's fabulous. I charm. mean, talk about charm. It, it's truly great. And they're open late. I mean, they were, we left there like at almost midnight last night, and they were still jamming. Mm. I mean, and that's pretty good. 
See, we have a very quiet life in the country where we are, except for when there's a festival. At three in the morning, a couple of nights ago, they, they send off fireworks. It sounds literally like we're being invaded. So uh, that's part of the excitement of living in the country. It's just as loud. It's actually louder and noisier than it is here <laughs> uh, on certain occasions. The rest of the time, proverbial pin drop. When your friends from Brooklyn come to visit, and I'm sure now that you're here, you have a lot of American visitors, what's the biggest surprise to them about Lisbon, about Portugal? I think it's how it can, well, for Lisbon, how it can be so busy and full of culture and life and energy and still feel more relaxed than it did in New York. There's something that happens here. It's some kind of, not that it's a real Mediterranean country, uh, but it, there's something about it that the people have an innate sense of a little bit more relaxed. I love it when I, last night when we were crossing the street to, um, where we were at the hotel to go to dinner, an enormous tour bus was barreling down the avenue. And so we were all backed up like this and it went and stopped first. I mean, you know, it doesn't happen in, on the east coast of the United States. No, <laughs> no. But the point is, people still there's take a, a slower pace. Yeah. There's yeah. A, a sense of chivalry here. Um, I dropped my sunglasses yesterday and three people went to pick it up for me. It's just, it's lovely, really lovely. Do you miss Brooklyn at all? I go back sometimes. Um, I actually subscribe to a, a newsletter, Brooklyner or something like that. <laughs> and uh, so I have my little taste of it. But no, not really. I, I miss Manhattan. All right, but you are now, yeah, but you're a full-time expat now. Oh, yeah. yeah. And proud of it. I love it, yes. Oh, as a matter of fact, we're going for our citizenship. Uh, wow. About well, that cements the deal right there. That cements the deal. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. many of you know from earlier in the show, I've been coming to Lisbon for about 40 years. It's one of my favorite cities. It's now one of the hottest cities uh, in Europe in terms of travel and, and tourism. Um, it's booming. Uh, and my next guest knows a little bit about that because she knows where to go, what to do, who to see, or maybe even who to avoid. She's the head concierge right here at the Tivoli. It's uh, Felipe Ferreira. How are you? Hi, I'm so I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me. You're Peter. very, you're very welcome. You know, so many hotels, and I noticed that your clay door, which if you, if people don't understand what clay door is, it stands for the gold keys. There are a lot of hotels that will take somebody from the reception desk and just call them the concierge. This is different. You have to have a pretty good speed speed dial system on your phone. You have to know who to call, where to go, where not to go. That's what you guys do. You have a, you're a network really of concierges all over the world. So it's not just here in Lisbon. If I was going to uh, Chicago, you'd know who to call to say, hey, he's coming how can we help them out it's true so the Cledor, the golden keys they are an international association of concierges all around the world and uh, it gives us the connection that we need to make the impossible possible right so we got the chance to know other fellow concierges from all around the world and connection is everything when you need to do um to find everything that the guests want and to meet the expectations so we, you really need to know a lot not only just about your country and the cities but also from other countries and you need to solve everything sure and the other thing is this 
Lisbon is booming right now. That's I mean, true. you've gone from a couple of one or two favorite restaurants of mine to a, a lot of Michelin-starred restaurants right now. I mean, it's happening, right? It's true, and they are growing and appearing as mushrooms everywhere. Yes, Lisbon is growing such in a fast pace nowadays. Well, you have a not only just a, a booming restaurant scene, you have a booming art scene, you have a booming market scene, mm-hmm. right? The streets filled with cafeterias, with shops, the art, it's true, the music, the festivals that we had. It's so good because this tourism development it created a new dynamic that benefits not only the visitors but also the locals will benefit from these vibrant areas that before let's not forget that like five six seven days seven years ago the um, the city center Baixa downtown had a lot of uh, buildings that were old and in the need of urgent investment. Well, if I can say something. You remember that? Se- I do remember that. Seven years ago, Lisbon was sleepy. It's true. It's not sleeping anymore. It's true. I mean, this hotel, this hotel has been around for a while. Now this hotel has been turned around. You have a rooftop bar scene here. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are rooftop bar scenes everywhere in the world now. It's happening. But you have quite the rooftop bar now. It's true. And in Lisbon, we knew that we had hills. We are the the city of the seven hills. But then we discovered that we could make rooftop bars with the hills. And that was a huge discovery. So now Lisbon is didn't know that before. Oh, my God. Exactly. Like, we have hills. But then someone thought, well, and what about if we make a bar in the top of those hills? And that was a good idea and we have bars everywhere in Lisbon on the rooftops and they it's, are it's true. perfect and you can go there to enjoy the sunset in Lisbon that I'm sure you agree that Lisbon has a beautiful oh my goodness. sunset right anytime you're in a, pl- in a city that's on the water you're going to have a great sunset and and you know Lisbon is right on the water you can't beat it's it it's true and then we have those facades light the light pink and yellow on the rooftops it gives a a different landscape. The other uh, equation that really lends itself well to Lisbon right now or to Portugal in general is anytime people say to me, where do you want to go? I say, I want to go to a place that's got a high standard of living and a relatively low cost of living. And right now you have both. I mean, a cab ride is not as expensive as it would be in other cities. You, 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 base the, you, you base your choices on what the local goods and services are. What will the locals pay for a tube of toothpaste or a taxi ride or a, or a pair of shoes as opposed to just how much is the hotel going to cost? It's true. Lisbon was this uh, secret that we had. I remember a few years ago, I had many guests when I asked, why are you coming to Lisbon? And they said, well, because I've traveled pretty much everywhere else in the world. And why not going to Lisbon? And now... Lisbon is our first option and they come here to the city and so this our capital our little secret that we have to share now but you have a saying like happiness is only real when it's shared right so we are happy to share our secret with you and you know what I go beyond that travel is by definition an experience meant to be shared it's true so if you can do that and be happy and be in Lisbon hey what's better than that yeah perfect amazing I agree if you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. Lisbon, which I used to describe as the kingdom of a dead empire, where if you ask the, you know, the, the Portuguese, hey, what's going on? They'd answer, well, they want to talk about Vasco da Gama, and you go, okay. But that was also part of its charm. Now, Portugal has exploded in the tourism and travel scene, every conceivable level. And when I first came here, if there would have been a time out here, it would have been a very thin magazine. Now it's out of control. And joining me now from Time Out, Vera Moura, would you agree with that assessment? 
Yes, absolutely. The, there's a boom in the city. Everything's happening. We have new things to discover every week. A uh, very busy city with lots of tur tourists. But not only, uh, the locals are also leaving the city in a different way. And that's amazing. Well, they're staying up later at night. Yes. They, they are. are. I <laughs> they mean, are. the old Lisbon went to bed at 10 o'clock. With the exception of a few photo clubs, that was it. <laughs> yeah. Even the photo clubs closed earlier in those days. But what's amazing to me, here is a city where you have a high standard of living, a low cost of living relatively. You've got five Michelin-starred restaurants, and that number is exploding as well. That never would have happened five years ago. No. it's You wouldn't recognize the city. The, the food scene is a good example. Uh, because every week now we have good restaurants opening, beautiful restaurants opening, uh, and you can have a different experience every time you come here. Right, and you know, one of the places I always go when I come here, uh, they change locations, but they haven't changed the menu, which is why I still go there, is uh, Pop Sorda, uh, right in your place, which is which is the whole timeout marketplace there. Um, uh, now, for those people who, who don't know about Pop Sorda, it used to be at another location, a little cozier location, but when I say they haven't changed the menu, First of all, they have great food anyway, but their signature item is their dessert, the chocolate mousse. Yeah. For those of you who've ex experienced chocolate mousse before, you haven't. Because chocolate mousse is usually served in this little champagne glass with a small spoon, and you have two bites, and it's like, that's it? We're done? At this restaurant, you order the chocolate mousse, and before you know it, there's a huge empty plate at your table, and you're tapped on the shoulder, and you look up, and the waiter is standing there with a huge bowl and a ladle, and they're carving it out of the bowl. I mean, it's like, it's, it's scary, actually. <laughs> But it's that so delicious. Big it, that big spoon. <laughs> um, and yet that's all now part. They're all moved into this, uh, like an old former warehouse, which you turned into this amazing marketplace of about 50 different restaurants of well-known Portuguese chefs. Yes, it really represents that change in the, in the city. You now have in the same place, a really traditional place, uh, great chefs, traditional food, international food, uh, it's a great experience to go to go to the market. And we were eating there last night at 11.30 and nobody's blinking because they're still going. Yes, full all day long till late night. It's great. Yes. But then again, let me talk about the double-edged sword. The double-edged sword is it's, it's exploding so fast. How do you manage it? Uh, uh, many locals are not dealing so well with this growth, with this fact, uh, fast, fast growth. Uh, uh, lots of tourism, uh, prices are getting, getting higher. But then again, uh, most cities of Europe and, and from the United States, uh, if you are in the heart of the city, this is what happens. Uh, uh, and I believe this is good to, for the city because uh, uh, we have higher standards. Uh, better restaurants opening, uh, uh, great chefs wanting to cook here, wanting to, to show their signature here. So, so I think it's a good thing. And, and, and for us, Time Out uh, uh, is great. And most of your stuff these days is online, isn't it? Yes. I mean, that's the biggest change. I still like holding it in my hand, but <laughs> do you still have a printed edition? We do. Thank weekly, you. Thank you <laughs> for guys like me who like to hold it in their hand. But things are changing so rapidly, you almost need an online component just because things are changing every 24 hours. Yes. We do have a, a website. We still have the weekly magazine. Uh, and we do have uh, uh, some uh, editions for tourists. The, the timeout visitors, uh, they go out twice a year. So you have a spring-summer edition and a winter edition uh, because we also need to, to, to respond to this, to this boom of, of tourists in the city. How many new restaurants are being added in Lisbon in a given week or two weeks? It's amazing. I think three, four good restaurants per week. Unreal. Yes. 
can you, I mean, and how do you sustain that growth? We try to keep up. We try to yeah. visit them. We try, we try them. Uh, uh, Time Out still has that signature thing. So we try to give people, this is really good. You should try uh, this restaurant. Has uh, the food truck scene hit? Yes. It yes, has. Absolutely. You have uh, uh, food trucks markets everywhere. You, you see uh, trucks uh, through all the city. It's amazing. Uh, uh, street food is it's also a trend. Uh, on one hand, you have those Michelin star restaurants you, you were talking about. But then on the other hand, you still have our traditional tashkish. And that's street food. To, to when you say traditional hand. what? Tashkish. Explain. Uh, those are uh, our most traditional restaurants with a familiar, familiar atmosphere, uh, simple dishes, And of course, prices. especially in the morning, coffee and the pastry. Yes. And the pastry is called? The most famous, Pastel de Nata. There you go. <laughs> I know it. I can't get enough of them. But I want them hot. Yeah. I want them hot, yeah. not cold. <laughs> In some places, they're only good when they're hot. That's right. Uh, the secret is where to find a good one when it's not hot anymore. Give me the fact. Give me one. Mantegueria. It's amazing. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. I've been coming to Lisbon, as if you've been listening to the show, and we've done the show from here before, of course, for about 40 years. And when I first came here, Lisbon was, was, was always beautiful, but it was, it was sleepy um, it closed at 10 o'clock every night, um, and it was it had its own special charm just because of that. Today, I mean, stand back. It's like 24-7. It's got a nightlife that's unbelievable, an art scene, and it's got a food scene, um, and a food scene that will give you a number of Michelin-starred restaurants that they never had before. Um, and the charm of the, of the city has remained. And joining me now, the author of The 500 Secrets of Lisbon, uh, Miguel Jadis, how are you, sir? Very nice. Thank you. I, we, we don't have time for 500 secrets, but... <laughs> I'll give you a couple. Yeah, a couple will be good. But you heard my introduction. I mean, just the restaurant scene alone, mm. um, but the art scene, the galleries. Uh, I was here last year for a wonderful exhibition of local artists uh, over by the port, mm. and it was just, it was amazing. I mean, and I never would have expected to see that like 10 years ago, yeah. let alone now. Well, the, the city has been changing a lot in, in the last few years. Some say for the better, some say for the worse. You know, I think uh, um, as in any city that is a major destination, like Lisbon is now, you'll, you'll you know, a, a beautiful city will attract visitors. That's, you know, that's a given. Right. There's no, no way around it. I think the, the, um, what, what Lisbon needs to do and is trying to do is to, you know, accept those visitors but and also and reinvent but, but also reinvent itself, reinvent itself but I mean also look, keep, as you said keep the charm that it used to have for we example lose that the hotel we're in right now was built in 1933 mm -hmm. 
and they've redid the hotel and with an amazing scene up on the roof now. Well, the, the, the thing here in Lisbon is we, we try to uh, adapt and convert what was before instead of tearing it down and building it new. Uh, so that's that's the new Lisbon. The new Lisbon is okay. We're we're renovating. We're we're improving things, but we're trying to keep the city as it was before, so that we don't lose the charm, we don't lose the character, the authenticity. That's something that that we should really try to to keep. Exactly. But you're not just an author. You're a restaurateur. Yes. Tell me about your restaurant. Hmm. Well, I have a few. Uh, probably the best known is called Eleven. It's a one Michelin star restaurant. It's one of these restaurants. And that's that's the thing. I mean, you never would have thought of of Lisbon. As, as a Michelin-starred city. Mm. Now, how many? Re- there are at least five of them I now. Think now, about five. One has two stars, and then four that have one star. Yeah. Well, uh, four or five. So, and, and I'm sure that next year we'll have more because the, the, the new chefs uh, that are popping up are extraordinary. They're doing amazing things, you know, reinventing Portuguese food, a, lo- a little bit like reinventing the city. They're reinventing food. And speaking of reinventing Portuguese food, let me reassure everybody listening to this show, we're not just talking about sardines anymore. No, no. We're no, not no. even... <laughs> but if we are talking about sardines, they're done in a different way. Yeah. And don't forget that Lisbon has been a global city for hundreds of years. So, right. so what what we are trying to do here in in, in Lisbon uh, with food is is m- make this a global food city too, uh, because it's a city that has influences from um, African countries, from uh, Asia in Macau, the Portuguese were in China, from Goa in India where the Portuguese were too, from many countries in Africa, East Africa, West Africa, islands Ang- in Angola. Africa, Angola, so mm. Lisbon is made of all that, it's, it's not only made of Portuguese food and of Portuguese people, it's made of people that have dark skin, that have uh, you know Chinese eyes, that are from India, that went from India to, to Mozambique two generations ago and that came, came to Portugal, so Lisbon is a global city. And what's changed about Lisbon in terms of the cuisine, it's not just Portuguese food anymore. No, absolutely, because Portuguese are, are excited about, about ethnic foods. You know, Yesterday, a, a Georgian restaurant opened up, then an Armenian last week, so things are popping up like, uh, like crazy. What's the biggest surprise to you? Well, the surprise is that we have been able to keep the genuine character of, of Lisbon. Probably if you go to you know, the heart, heart of the city, you see a lot of tourists, but as soon as you walk five minutes, you're in the middle of a city that has nobody but Portuguese. So we, we've been able to keep that. And I think that's that's what people want to, to visit. They want to see the sites, they want to see the, the monuments, but then they want to go a little bit off the beaten track and, and s- see the city where the locals live and, and not be surrounded by people from all over the world and not see Portuguese. I mean, with all due respect, I don't necessarily want to go see St. George's Castle anymore. Exactly. I mean, with, with all those crowds. Of course, of course. But this is a walkable city. Well, it, it's, it's a walkable, it's it's, a, it's a, an active city to walk in uh, because it's up and down, you know, it's hilly. It's hilly. Uh, so it's You're going to get your city. exercise. You will. So it's not like Madrid or, or that is a flat city. Uh, Lisbon is a very hilly city, but that's what makes it unique because then you have views of the river. You have views of the hills. You have views of the other side. If it weren't for the hills, you would not have the views, the perspectives that and, and, and the sights that we, we have. So thank God it's a hilly city. And I don't think you have to be a fan of it to appreciate it, and that's Fado. Well, yeah. But you have to do you're it. You're bound to, to watch it, and it's 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 like going to Spain and not watching flamenco, or going to Rome and not going to the Vatican. Uh, so it, it's. But what I love about Fado, if you go to the right clubs late at night, it's not a very uh, organized situation. It's just, it's almost like like hootenanny. I mean, yeah. people just say, "Okay, why don't you sing?" Exactly. And then why don't you sing? Yeah. And people just get up and do it. It's Absolutely. unbelievable. It, it's impromptu. It's, yeah. it's real. Uh, it's sung by locals. Locals go to these clubs to sing because they love to. They, they love to 
socialize. Sometimes they're older people that live alone, and this well, is a way to, for them to interact. For me, I, I, uh, I went to Fado with one of your best Fado singers, and, and she was actually on the show when we did it. She said, watch what happens. And, of course, when, they, when she walked in, they had to have her yeah, sing. Course, yeah. But there were people singing there who were in their 80s. Mm. You know, who just this is what they love to. It's like going to a tango, like a milonga exactly. in in Buenos Aires. Uh, you know, to, to see how people do it locally. And and they live alone, these people. So it, it's uh, going to Fado to these little restaurants, hop on to to sing. It's a way for them to be with people, to be surrounded with people, to be nurtured, to be cared for, to get applauses. You know, and, and so that really gives breeds life into them. And the energy, and the but it's the passion. Yeah, it is. It's the what was the. Um, uh, when you know, look, you're the author of 500 Secrets of Lisbon. Mm-hmm. We'll never have enough time. Give me the one that will that surprises people the most. I think one that that is absolutely stunning and beautiful, and and uh, it goes a little bit beyond the obvious because uh, if you keep to the center of the city, you'll see a lot of things. But sometimes you need to go a little bit off the beaten track. What I always recommend people is to take the the boat, the Casilheiro, those those orange boats, and cross the river to the other side and go to the other side of Lisbon. Because most of the tourists don't do it. They don't go. They don't go. And and take the bus. They take the, the I mean the boat that people take to go to their homes to go to their jobs. Exactly. And then on the other side, the view of Lisbon is absolutely stunning. There are a couple of restaurants, feet on the water, uh, that serve fantastic fish, uh, great service, amazing locations. Just what you do is just take the boat and start walking around. Exactly, you walk around the, the, the pier, and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Miguel Judis, the author of 500 Secrets of Lisbon, plus the owner of a one-star Michelin restaurant, <laughs> which is 11. Thank you so much, man. Hello, and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. heard me talk about through the entire show about the exploding food scene here throughout Portugal, which is absolutely the case. I mean, this city, is, especially in Lisbon, has gone from being very, very sleepy to being Michelin-starred all over the place. And my next guest knows a little bit about this because he's an award-winning Portuguese chef and the owner of Bel Canto, Jose Aviles. How are you, sir? Hello, Harry. Pleasure to be here. I mean, you heard the introduction. I mean, you're part of that explosion. How did that happen in it's happened so fast. Yes, it's true. The last five years were amazing in terms of develop of our gastronomy. Um, of course, that uh, the increase of tourism helped a lot. Uh, we've opened our first restaurant uh, seven years ago, uh, exactly seven years ago, and we've opened 18 in these seven years. Wait, let's say that again. You opened up your first restaurant seven years ago? And we have now 18, 18. restaurants in Lisbon. But, but and who's counting? Oh, my God. <laughs> Amazing. And each one of them different. Yes, actually, we have like 15 are different, and uh, the others are like concepts that we we have one in Porto and one in Lisbon. Um, but we have Belkant with two Michelin stars, more gastronomic, and then we have uh, some more traditional, some more uh, contemporaneous. We have the mini bar. It's like a gastro bar. Uh, we have like, yeah, 15 different uh, concepts. I'm glad you could take time off to talk to me today. You're a busy man. What's changing, though, in ter- not just in terms of the numbers, but in terms of the style of food? Because, you know, you've gone way beyond sardines. I mean, l- let's face it. Yeah. Um, you know, and given the world of, of, uh, of, of, of globalization, you know, you can get great Italian food in Lucerne, you get great Chinese food in Amman, Jordan. What is Portuguese food? 
I think the, the big change will be that when we achieve to do great food outside Portugal. I think we had an amazing food, although we are a quite small country. We have uh, different regions uh, very with very characteristic food in each region. Um, the big thing about Portugal from the last uh, five years was before that with the economic crisis, with no tourism or few tourism, it was not possible to viabilize finan financially uh, the... Um, the restaurant. So after we have guests, after we have people um, to sit at our tables, we can do it. So the, the products that we have are the ones that we have for the last two centuries. Uh, we have a lot of influence from uh, the ex-colonies. We conquered more than 50 countries, so we brought a lot of influence. We left a lot of, of influence. Uh, but the scene, the gastronomic scene always goes up when you have a better economy. Now we have, and because we have a lot of tourism, we are achieving now to, we have more chefs doing their own um, projects, and now they can show what the Portuguese... Well, they now have the financial wherewithal to do them. Yeah. yeah. Right? They have the money. They have the money. And that's, uh, especially for a restaurant that you need to have always fresh ingredients. If you have a full booked restaurant, you can do that. If you have an empty restaurant, you cannot do that. Uh, so now the chefs invested... Uh, they have the guests, they, we have the products, we have the traditions, we have uh, all the gastronomic culture that we have in Portugal. So now we can do it. Well, I want to go back to my first question. What is Portuguese cuisine? <laughs> I, tr I was trying to run about I it. Know, I know, I know. I'm not going to let you off the hook. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to define only like one Portuguese cuisine because we have all these regions with different kinds of cuisines, but we have some particularities that are quite different from other countries. Uh, we use uh, a fresh herb like uh, cilantro that in Europe you always you only see in like uh, small parts of Spain and the Canary Islands. Uh, we got that from uh, uh, the uh, Arab, uh, from the Arabs. We use um, white rice as, as a garnish for many different dishes that you cannot see that in Europe. You see that in Asia and Latin America, and, uh, um, and then we have amazing seafood. That's one of the biggest characteristics. Uh, but then we have great pork, great lamb, great kids and goats, uh, great uh, beef, although it's not our speciality. Um, no, you, you don't come to Portugal to eat beef. No. No. <laughs> you <laughs> come especially not. for seafood, but even like in uh, areas a little bit far from the shore, you have amazing food. And then you have like a, what we call the calderada uh, from fish from the river. Uh, or from the sea with different aromatic herbs, uh, with different seasonings. We have all the Mediterranean influence, also like the, the tomato, the onions, uh, then potato, ingredients like tomato, peppers, potato, like 400 years ago we didn't have here. And now it's completely part uh, of our diet. So it's very important to understand that, that we are um, what we eat and after uh, our history reveals a lot of what we are because we brought we start to fish the bacalhau the codfish and we are not only codfish we start to bring from outside the tomato the peppers the potato and now that is completely part of our cuisine so there's been some adapting some adapting from the last five centuries but the especially. but the core stays the <laughs> same yeah, yeah so i can still get some great sardines amazing sardines for like three months a year because they are seasonal What's, and what's the season? Uh, it started in uh, June uh, with, uh, with um, the, um, the fairs, 
but actually I prefer them in September. Normally they are fara, uh, but like. So if you're coming back for sardines in Portugal, come back next year. Next year. That's what you want to do. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. My next guest, the general manager of this hotel, Miguel Garcia. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you, Peter. Uh, now you're Portuguese. I am. But you've been all over the world. I've been I've been abroad for ob- almost uh, 13 years. And you've come back to manage this hotel. And I came back to manage this hotel, this iconic hotel in Lisbon. And you say it's iconic. Let's go back and talk about the fact this was built in 1933. Exactly. Right. And I remember it as not being an especially great hotel. It was just a hotel on Avenue Libertad. Then you guys came in and not only redid it on the inside, you went up, and and it's it's your rooftop that sells sells the whole thing. It is, it is. I mean, this hotel since 1933 was a Conic Hotel since then. And since Minor Hotels bought this hotel, uh, the refurbishment was just perfect. And uh, we're now repositioning the hotel to be, again, number one in Lisbon. And I think we are already considered one of the one of the best hotels in Lisbon. And definitely the rooftop, is, it's a must. It's a really, really competitive advantage and has uh, overseeing Lisbon, which is fantastic. When I first came to Lisbon 40 years ago, you stayed at the Ritz. That was, And that, that was a Ritz before it was a, it was a privately owned hotel and the one thing that they had there i'm not kidding you this they were so far ahead of the game in one area their bath sheets their bath towels were so big right nobody could steal them because <laughs> they could they couldn't so i went out to a i made a deal i i loved them so much i went out to a store and bought two suitcases two big suitcases and i went back to the general manager said, i'd like to buy six of your towels and i bought them and they lasted for a lifetime they're amazing and they they realized that i don't care how luxurious the hotel was if you had a huge bath towel people love the hotel because you felt good about the hotel right i mean there are lessons to be learned there right and exactly i mean there's many trends during you know luxury hospitality business and uh small things that give the perception of quality and um, luxury things that you never forget and that those are one of the things that you sometimes you go to a hotel I mean uh, the mattress the, the towels uh, anything that touches you exactly that physically touches you and it has to be better uh, in, uh, compared with what you have at home and what people don't realize is what they're really doing every time they're staying at a hotel is they're test driving their own experience meaning oh I would like to have that in my house or I'd love to have it, you know, it's not about people stealing an ashtray or or, or a matchbook they're really having a life experience as opposed to a cookie cutter room exactly and give you some some ideas that can improve your house but you know i think the first feeling that someone needs to go in when you go to a room is that you always feel the same the first guest in that room that's that's a feeling that you know especially in this kind of business but a lot of hoteliers have forgotten that Oh, yes. I mean, they have. You have to have an emotional experience. You have to have an emotional connection. And with all due respects to my friends at Marriott and Hilton and Hyatt, all those hotels, I can't think of anybody that I know, and maybe you could be the exception, I don't think so, that if you're told you're staying at a Sheridan, you get excited. Um, You're staying at a Sheridan, chances are because it's location, or because it's corporate hotel policy in, in, in your own corporation, or because the hotel is walking distance to a convention center where you happen to go, or you're, going, or you're, or you're addicted to the frequent stay points. But you really want to have an emotional connection to a hotel. And there are some Sheridans, by the way, where you do have that connection. And when you do, those are the hotels you go back to, right? You know, Peter, I believe in standards because service yeah. needs to be consistent. But yeah. uh, at, at the end of the day, will be the human touch, will be our people who give us the, gives you the, the, the difference between uh, the hotels and the experience and emotional 
a connection that you have the with the in within, within the hotel. And each time we can see an opportunity to exceed expectations, the guests, you know, understanding why he's here, why he's in Lisbon, what you can do to go further. That's that's when you never forget a hotel and experience. You being Portuguese, how do you keep the Portuguese experience as part of the hotel? That's for me. That's the baseline of everything we do. So everything we do here, it, ne it needs to be connected with the city, with Lisbon, with the Portuguese. You don't. You come from the United States. I mean, you like to to see that there are Portuguese people here. Well, you know what it is. I don't want, with all due respect, I don't want to come to the hotel Tivoli and have a cheeseburger. No, I don't think that's really what I'm. We have it. I know. I know you <laughs> have it, but that's not for the unevolved Americans. You can have a cheeseburger. Yeah. But my recommendation recommendation is that's not why you're here no exactly i mean here you get the first restaurant that you go in the main lobby it's a seafood restaurant so seafood for us in portugal i mean we have it's it's the, it the made quality. you it Ex made you exactly yeah it's part of our history so uh the first thing that you offer is something from portugal you know that we like portuguese like to eat and um and then i mean everything needs to be connected with the city with portugal i mean not just you know being a, in a hotel that could be an airport or anywhere else Exactly. And let's face it, your cuisine these days, not just at the hotel, but in Portugal in general, is no longer just sardines. Let's get let's be honest. It's yeah. it's it's evolved beyond that. But much beyond. I mean, sardines, they're part of our history. Of course. They they've made I mean, there are many chefs doing notable things with sardines. But I mean, we have other fishes, <laughs> <laughs> the seafood. Yes, you do. And uh, we I mean, but one one thing that is happening here in Portugal, not just in Portugal worldwide, is that people they are searching now you know for just for the product it, one thing is hard to do is uh, what I would, is this is my my guideline for for new restaurants is you not, you need to do the basic thing you know properly without reinventing the wheel so if if you have a lobster you need to know how to make the lobster and if you have a sardine you need to make the sardine properly You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds, but none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist, 
two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.